Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform of course you choose to follow us on. And first of all guys, I just want to apologise for the slight delay of the publication of this podcast. We usually put them out for a Monday, this one's coming out on a Tuesday with our race review and uh simply because, guys, um, yours truly wasn't feeling too great and are still really not feeling that good now, right? Uh, to be honest. So um, I'll have to power through, um, but otherwise I'm okay. It's nothing to worry about or anything like that. But of course, joining me on this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, and this is going to be one hell of a juicy review. I can already feel it uh, based on what we saw at the Grand Prix this weekend. But joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. And uh, Courtney... First of all, how are you doing? Um, I, I know you also are a little bit under the weather. Um, something's definitely going around at the moment where we are. Um, but yeah, I, I think now that we've had a day to kind of process everything that's happened, we've been able to go to sleep rather than express our raw emotion and reactions of what we saw over the weekend, as a lot of people did. And uh, listening to a few other podcasts from a few of our friends, uh, other content creators in the community, you can tell everyone was really riled up at um after having some time to process it, how how are you feeling? Uh, yeah, I think hit the nail on the head there. I'm I'm pleased I didn't uh, join the recording yesterday because you know Adam, you got some angry voice notes from me yesterday when it was all occurring. But um, nah, I'm I'm definitely glad didn't do it yesterday. Um, I still have my opinions on the matter, and I'm sure we'll be getting some uh some angry rants in the comment section but at the end of the day we're here to express our opinions and our opinions are usually reasonable they're not usually offensive they're not usually deliberately said to trigger people but they still do so we'll persevere we'll give our opinions and then we'll see what comes from it yeah absolutely and I would always encourage all of our followers or listeners or if you're watching on YouTube for example please do weigh in. Um, We are making an effort now to try and engage with you guys more. So if you do want to put a comment in the YouTube video, please do. But of course, you know, let's keep it respectful, guys. We want to have a a community or a hub, if you like, where we can all express our opinions. And there are so many different ones. You know, there's no one correct opinion on this. And if you've got a foundation for your opinion on something that's solid and is not used to slander another driver unfairly, then... I absolutely welcome it and we will do our utmost to make sure that we can engage with you guys as well so we don't make you feel like uh, stuff that you're saying is falling on deaf ears because it certainly isn't Um, but obviously we need to do more as content creators to make sure that we are uh, engaging and interacting with our followers who are so kind and generous to offer their opinions. I completely agree with that you know we actually love the comment sections we love engaging with you when you comment on the videos Um, but there's just that limit um, 
of stating your opinion. And you know what? Passionate opinions are the best opinions because it shows you're getting like, the, the actual feedback from the race. And that, that's that's why we're doing this, Adam. We're here to talk to other people about Formula One because we don't know many people that are into Formula One. But it's just when you see like remarks about a certain driver and it's like, look, you don't like that that guy for a particular reason, whether it be his personality or other things. But we're here to talk about the racing drivers, not the people. And yeah. I just feel let's 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 talk about the racing because that's what this podcast is about. But of course, bring your opinions, but just keep them reasonable. Yeah, absolutely right. Couldn't have said it better myself. And uh, yeah, again, guys, obviously, if it sounds a little bit croaky or if, if I sound a little bit off, um, yeah, just shaking off a pretty bad uh, cold or man flu, or whatever you want to call it. You've um, been tested. Adam's been tested. It's not COVID. Yeah, I've already had that once, so I don't really want to have to go through that again. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. Um, but yeah, anyway, look, let's get into this. Um, I want to start with the sprint race. Um, we are, of course, we're going to talk about the big incident between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. But I want to save that for a little bit later on in the episode. Um, once we've warmed up and we're really into this, we can have a proper have a have a proper go at it. I suppose is the best way of putting it. But um, the sprint race, we had the sprint race. Um, ended up serving as a rather moot point for the weekend. Obviously, what followed in the main event, which um, you'd expect it to under the normal circumstances anyway. But um, we had the first one in Silverstone. I think a lot of us, um, us included, felt that it did okay. It wasn't fantastic, but, you know, it did provide some action and it was somewhat entertaining. And I think we can all agree that, um, you know, having a short sprint race over a extra practice session where nothing is really achieved from it is always a plus. But um, i got to be honest, I was not enthralled at all by what I saw in this sprint race. Of course, I was looking forward to it. But after it had happened, I was like, you know, what not really much happened. I mean, the only thing I could think of was uh, an early overtake or two by Fernando Alonso, as he so often does, and seems to be the lead protagonist in this sprint series, uh, as he was in Silverstone. And uh, Lewis Hamilton getting a poor start, which dropped him onto the second row of the grid for the main race. So, um, yeah, Courtney, um, any thoughts you wanted to lend to the sprint race? Of course. Um, I think you're right. I think the main point from the sprint race was the poor start from Lewis, which could have big implications for the championship. Obviously, with what happened on Sunday, the implications could have been even worse. Um, but I was disappointed by it personally. Um, I was expecting more from it, given the um, the layout of Monza. Um, we saw it did fairly well in Silverstone. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a damp squib. I think that's, that's the term. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't really... Um, too keen on it. Um, it's a little bit of a possession, and we see that way too often in Formula One. Uh, for me, I'm glad that this is only a trial. And if I was one of the big wigs at the top of the uh, the Formula One uh, ladder, let's say, um, I would be keen to stick with the original format next season. And if the 2022 cars have the desired effect, where it's easy to overtake then consider it for certain tracks in um, 2023 because I think I was talking about it in, in the commentary in the UK that the guy had the guy chasing had to be about four tenths of a second behind the guy in front by the time they get to the straight in order to make an overtake of Monza. It's just a common concept of these cars. You know, it's just it's, it's still generally too difficult to overtake even with DRS. So let's just hope the 2022 regulations have the desired effect and then maybe bring it back at some circuits. But even then, 
a circuit like Monaco, it'd be absolutely pointless to do it. So it definitely needs some fine tuning. Yeah, you're right. And um, I think that's one thing we saw this weekend that um, unless you're right up someone's gearbox at the exit of the Parabolica corner, now named the Alboreto corner, um, you're just not going to make that overtake. Even with DRS, it just shows how difficult Monza has become to overtake. And it's quite deceiving because you'd think it would be an absolute haven for overtaking. But um, no, we saw a course the weekend... Uh, even in the main race, how hard it was to overtake at the final corner, uh, going into turn one of the runoff of Parabolica. So, um, yeah, it, I, I, as I said, I, I watched that sprint race, and I don't, I don't think I was massively disappointed or felt like I was shortchanged or anything. Um, you know, we had the sprint race at Silverstone. We gave it a thumbs up. It wasn't an, an enthusiastic thumbs up, but we were happy with what we saw the first time. Um, and it felt a lot more, it felt like a damp squib as you perfectly put it corny I don't feel that um, the experiment that they were hoping for to really thrive and flourish at Monza was really going to deliver and perhaps some people felt that was going to happen before it even started so um, yeah we'll have to wait and see how it goes we're supposed to have one more sprint race in Brazil possibly but um, that again that's going to depend on whether that race goes ahead in Brazil owing to the COVID situation there um, we did get a few drivers off in their remarks on this. Sergio Perez was actually very vocal about the sprint race. I've got the quotes here that I'll just read uh, on my phone. And he said it was um, he said it was very boring. Um, he said F1 sprint races don't really bring anything. Uh, he doesn't see the benefit. And he can imagine it's also boring for the fans, boring for the drivers. And yeah, he, he just goes on to say he just doesn't feel like it's going to improve the show. And that we'll just have to wait and see if the fans are happy with it. I mean... We've asked some of our followers before and majority of them are in agreement with us that they wanted to see this work. They wanted to give it a try. Um, I think we were quite open-minded to the idea. I mean, I know originally when we did, we talked about this months and months and months ago when they were discussing it and I said I wasn't a fan of it because I'm a, I'm a traditionalist in terms of F1 fans. I'm not really, I'm not adverse to new ideas, but sometimes I feel like artificially trying to create more exciting racing through a race format rather than trying to make the cars better at racing each other is the wrong way to go. And we're now entering a period in theory where we're going to get what we want in terms of close racing through the cars, which in turn could make a sprint race more appealing. But I just feel like you've got to try and, if you're going to improve the show for the fans, you've got to make the cars more competitive and make them better at racing. And I think fans in by and large have been very happy with what we've seen this season because of how competitive it has been and how much of us and the battles that we've had for up and down the paddock rather than what we've seen the last couple of years or through the sprint races, which have certainly not achieved that at all. I completely agree with the um, your opinions on the format. I, for one, really enjoy qualifying. Now, I know there is still obviously a qualifying session for the sprint race itself, but I, I, I for me, I think the importance of qualifying should go back to how it was because that's one of the arts of being a Formula One driver, being able to nail that perfect lap in all sorts of conditions, and you should get that reward for it. You know, in, in with, with this format, after qualifying, you have two bites of the cherry rather than one. But I just feel that, you know, you, you think about some of the great qualifiers in the past, like Lewis and and Senna, you know, their achievements would have kind of been diluted if it was with this current format. So if you think about Senna at Monaco in 88, when he went two seconds faster than his teammate, 
that wouldn't have had as much gravitas with this current format. So I just think the art of qualifying needs to be given a little bit more respect. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, you know, people aren't going to talk fondly um, in F1 folklore about the time where Valtteri Bottas become the speed king at Monza or when Lewis become the speed king. Oh, sorry, yeah, like when Lewis become the speed king at Silverstone or won the sprint race, they're going to be talking about Senna's pole lap in 88 in Monaco, uh, Hamilton's pole lap in uh, Singapore 2018. I believe it was. Uh, he completely pulled that one out of the bag. And and also his 100th pole position at the Spanish... Was it Spanish Grand Prix? Got his pole, 100th pole? I, Something. I yeah, think so. it, it was that one. Because I remember, yeah, it was that one. Um, you know, people are going to be talking about those moments. They're not going to be talking about who won a sprint. Or it's not even a sprint race. It's meant to be a sprint. So, um, yeah, I think the enthusiasm that we might have had for the sprint series after the British Grand Prix has kind of wavered um, a lot. And I think if they are going to introduce a sprint event into the F1 format, it need, they really have to have a series of think about where they're going to have it. Because I think if you're just going to have it at races where we've had it so far, Silverstone, yeah, maybe, but Monza, absolutely not. Unless they change the way the cars interact with each other in terms of making it easy to overtake, it's just not going to work. And, and that has to be the priority. So um, let us know what you think, guys. Um, did you enjoy the sprint race or do you feel that perhaps um, it, it, perhaps it was just a step too far for what F1 wanted to achieve at this race and ultimately was probably a bit of a failure? I mean, it didn't look like there was too much going on other than what the incidents that we'd already mentioned. Um, the headline did seem to be Hamilton dropping a few places because of his poor start. And um, yeah, that was about it, really. But uh, look, let's move on to the main race. And there's so much that we can talk about from this race. But I think it's fair for us to shine the spotlight on the winners of the Italian Grand Prix. And, you know, it's funny because I always think back to the uh, 2021 predictions that we did with Menena, uh, a Gold Talks F1, of course, otherwise known as. And we were all in agreement that we thought that McLaren would win a Grand Prix in 2021. Mm -hmm. And at the time, that probably seemed like a bit of a bold prediction. And I think as the season went on, it became more and more bold. Like McLaren were always on the cusp, but there was always at least three or four cars that you that were always in contention to be more likely to be able to win than they would. And I don't know. I, I just felt, would they get there? Would they be able to get the win? Would there be a day when everything just falls right for them? And it very much did so at the Italian Grand Prix. And I must say, it was absolutely thoroughly deserved. And whilst, admittedly, my allegiances in Formula 1 are with the Tifosi, with Ferrari at a weekend like at Monza, I can't think of another team I'd rather have seen win other than the Ferraris than McLaren. And more so than Daniel Ricciardo, who got the win. Um, you know, his first win in such a long time. I think it was 2018 in Monaco Grand Prix. He was still a Red Bull driver. Uh, when he won his last race in F1 before that one, uh, a driver that's so good at winning on the occasion when opportunities arise. But this was completely different. Yes, opportunities arose from a few of the leading contenders in Verstappen and Hamilton taking each other out. And of course, we'll get into that later. But he was leading the race on merit before that even happened. And for a time, I just couldn't see anybody beating him on the day. He was just in that unique position where he was out in front, got a fantastic start and Verstappen couldn't get near him because of the nature of the track and the Red Bull just couldn't get past the McLaren and he didn't threaten him either. Ricardo had that 
under control. And as I said, it culminated in a fantastic result for the team where they got a 1-2 finished, thoroughly deserved. And, you know, before we go into the statistics, it was an incredible day. Courtney, you know, obviously you've had your support for McLaren in the past, um, particularly when Lewis was there early in his career. How special was it for McLaren to finally break their nine-year hoodoo and get a Formula One win at a track like Monza? Oh, absolutely amazing. Um, I With McLaren, I think McLaren are a lot of people's first or second team. Um, I think firstly because of the, obviously the history of the team. Like, like for me, I'm, I'm not only fond of McLaren because of the Lewis era, also because of the Senate era. Um, like do you know the the, the Marlborough era, um, the McLaren, like they're just iconic, and I always have fond, uh, always have fondness for the team. But the job that Zach Brown has done at, done at McLaren has been absolutely fantastic. He really has turned that team around. If you have a look at the team a few years ago, you know that was struggling with Honda and Fernando Alonso. This guy's come along. Uh, we, you know we had we've got Andreas Seidel as well. And it's such a good feel about McLaren. And we, we discussed this in, um, if we go back to pre-season, I'm saying there's a, there's a momentum, there's a there's a feel-good factor about McLaren. And having two drivers like Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris, particularly with Lando's transformation this season, where, you know what, they like to have a laugh, but they're also fierce competitors. And I just think that energy feeds through that whole team where, you know what, they're enjoying life being in the F1 paddock, but they still have that desire to win. And it comes to show, I think McLaren have put together a solid car. They've always been there or thereabouts, just behind um, Mercedes and Red Bull. But they were there on merit this weekend. It's so easy to think, oh, because uh, Max and Lewis uh, hit each other, um, that's the only reason why McLaren won. If Lewis had stayed on track, yeah, he was on a decent strategy. There's no guarantee that he would have got ahead of those guys because Lewis struggled to get past them on the, um, during the sprint. So it wouldn't have been a foregone conclusion that Lewis would have caught up. And, you know, it's great. It's great for Daniel, given the season that he's had. We all know the guy's still good, but he's just gone into a new team with a completely different setup and he struggled to adapt. But the first opportunity he had to win a race, he took it. And it was just a reminder for his doubters that this guy is more than capable of doing a job for McLaren. And I'm really pleased for him because it must have been a struggle for him. Yeah, it, it was very much a wholesome victory. I mean, I'd have loved to have seen Lando win that race. Mm. But given how the weekend went down and how good Daniel Ricciardo was, like he was easily the better of the two McLaren drivers this weekend. Um, Lando was incredibly impressive as well, let's not forget. You know, fourth in the sprint and second in the main race. He did a phenomenal job as well, as he has done so often this season. But there was just something really special about Danny Rick getting the result. And and you pointed it out, Corny. It's probably because he's had such a hard time adjust in and acclimatized into this car that he comes to a circuit where he's been very strong at in the past in his Red Bull days and even for Renault and it, it just felt really really nice to see him get that result and how much it meant to him as well it really really did um, and to the team as well you know we can't ignore the fact that McLaren have really been building the blocks and the foundations that they needed to get back to the top of Formula 1 I mean it almost seems like a team like McLaren is expected to rise to the top of Formula One almost um, in a heartbeat. But it's not as simple as that. I think you can see how the likes of Ferrari 
have struggled to get themselves back to the top, where they're now in that position like McLaren, where you feel like they're going to be there sooner rather than later. But it's just been such a struggle for McLaren over the last seven or eight years. I mean, just to give you some perspective, guys, for those of you that obviously haven't followed McLaren for a very long time, or Formula One, just to explain how significant this win was for McLaren, um, their last win was at the Brazilian Grand Prix in 2012, I believe when Jensen Button won that race. And that was nine years ago. 3,213 days, I believe it was to be exact. Um, the first win for Ricardo since Monaco 2018. That was when he was at Red Bull, of course. It was Lando Norris's best ever finish. Never finished in P2. Got a lot of P3s, but never P2 before. It was the first one-two finish of any team this season. That includes Red Bull and Mercedes. Um, McLaren obviously did that first. The first one-two finish for McLaren since Canada 2010. And you know how long ago that was? Lewis Hamilton was driving for them, and he won on that day ahead of Jensen Button. That's how long ago it was. Um, it was McLaren's first win, obviously, in the turbo hybrid era as a result. Um, it was also the largest ever points haul for a McLaren. Uh, for, yeah, for McLaren. Um, 43 points they got for the 1-2 finish, one point for Ricardo's fastest lap, and another point for Ricardo's third place in the sprint. And uh, it's the second largest points haul from an individual driver in Formula One ever. Um, only one point less than Lewis Hamilton at the British Grand Prix. So um, an incredible bunch of stats there for Daniel Ricciardo. And it, again, it just sums up how brilliant this day was for McLaren. I mean, we can talk about the battle with Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship. And of course, as a result, that has really helped their cause. And they've now re-overtaken uh, Ferrari, if you like, to move into P3. But um, when you sum it all up, Courtney... Um, for Daniel Ricciardo in particular, you know, we can go on and on about Lando Norris. And to be honest, I'm not surprised by the result for Lando. I'm, I'm very impressed, actually, by what he did on the team radio. I don't know if you heard it. There was a moment where I did, yeah. he basically said that, look, we need to hold. Do you want me to hold position and not fight Danny um, over this position? Because obviously we can get a one, two. And McLaren suggests that is our position. We want you to stay in P2. Uh, don't fight Daniel. And it reminded me of the 1998 Belgian Grand Prix where Damon Hill and Ralf Schumacher, both for the Jordan team at the time, ended up in one and two after Michael Schumacher crashed into the back of David Coulthard um, and obviously took them both out of the race. Um, and Jordan found themselves in a one-two position. This was a very rare position because Jordan were like a midfield team at the time. They weren't, uh, you know, they were fighting for decent positions, but they were nowhere near good enough to be winning races on merit. And they found themselves in this position. And Damon Hill was driving for them at the time. And he said on the radio, and he was leading the Grand Prix, and he said um, to Eddie Jordan, who was running the team, that um, if Ralph and I fight, there's a chance that we may not be able to consolidate this position. And Ralph Schumacher was faster than Damon at the time. So Ralph wanted to try and win. And then he basically said, you need to step in to Eddie Jordan and give the orders to hold position or we won't win this race. And eventually he did. And Jordan were able to consolidate that one-two finish. That radio message from Lando, obviously with the intention to support his team rather than go for his own aspirations because a potential first Grand Prix win for Lando Norris was very much on the cards for him there. But he did the sensible thing to bring the result home for his team. And and for Danny Rick as well, Courtney, um, it's an incredibly special moment. I mean, could this be a pivotal moment in Daniel Ricciardo's career, at least at McLaren, that could help him put more performances, not necessarily like the one he put in um, at the weekend, but more like what Lando Norris has been doing this season? Well, of course it can. Um, we've, we've been waiting for it all season. We've all, we've all been waiting for that moment where Daniel's going to turn it around because 
you know, even during his time during Renault, he was putting these kind of results out of the bag. You know, so we've all been shocked by his form at McLaren. Every weekend we've been saying, is this going to be the weekend? Is this going to be the weekend? I think we can actually safely say, as disappointed as we've been, we've never ruled him out. We've never said, oh, he's done, he's washed up. We've never said that on this podcast. We've been waiting every weekend for it to happen. And this is the best opportunity he's going to get. So I'm really hoping that he does take this momentum into the rest of the season because he's going to want to be number one driver. It's going to be interesting. If Daniel's form picks up, it's going to be interesting to see how the dynamic between the two drivers changes. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm just really pleased with the guy. And, and I, you know, I will always have a soft spot for McLaren. So for me, if Lewis doesn't win, I do want to see the McLaren guys win. So I hope they continue the way they're going. Yeah, it, it was a beautiful end to a very, very difficult story for the McLaren team who have had their ups and downs throughout the turbo hybrid era. You know, it must be said. Um, it, you know, that win in 2012 for Bra- in Brazil seems so long ago. So it's amazing to see it all come together. And there's so many great people at McLaren. And I'm not just saying this for the benefit of saying this. I really genuinely believe this, that McLaren have all the tools in place to become a real force in Formula One again, as they often were in the 90s and the early 2000s. It was really something to behold. Um, one thing I did enjoy was Daniel Ricciardo saying on the podium that the only sour note is that we haven't got a Ferrari up there with us because they obviously want Ferrari to be up there with them. And, you know, we always talk about rivalries uh, in the sport and how, you know, teams, there's always a perception that teams hate each other. The reality is they don't. You know, they travel together. They really do work well together. There's a huge bond with everybody in the paddock. And... McLaren obviously recognise the struggles that Ferrari have gone through, similar to their own, and obviously trying to work their way up. And these two teams have been going hammer and tongs at each other, as much as Red Bull and Mercedes have, almost more in some cases. Um, It's just nice. It would have been lovely if they were shared a moment like that together. But to be honest, it was all about McLaren, even though it was Ferrari's home circuit. And Ferrari did relatively well, all things considered. Um, If you took their day and just, you know, judged them on that, that would have been fine. But it's because McLaren did so well that obviously it's made to look worse than it actually was. But it's nice to see moments. It's very wholesome stuff. And we got that last year with Pierre Gasly, how wholesome that was for him. Um, And McLaren were very strong on that day as well. Almost got a double podium then. So um, no, fantastic day for McLaren. Really, really happy for them. Uh, Really happy for Ricardo, of course. And hopefully, who knows? It could be the start of something very special for them going forward. Um, I've always said that, though. Next season... Watch out for McLaren and Ferrari. I'm going to remember this episode because I lost out on the clip last time. I lost the clip. So I've been saying it regularly. Watch out for McLaren and Ferrari in 2022. They're doing doing bits, mate. Trust me. I mean, does it count as a clip if you say the same thing over and over and over again? Because there's loads of episodes that people could pull that out from and i'm not disputing it. Right. i think it's fine but i'll just i'll, I'll just one of them that's why i'm saying it so it's just on record you can make a collage <laughs> out of it or an album of some sort but anyway look <laughs> now we, we've put this off long enough let's get into the uh the topic of discussion the part that our viewers and followers would have clicked on this and downloaded this to actually find out and what we thought of the incident between max verstappen and lewis hamilton now i do want to open this up a little bit for debate um, but obviously I want to keep this to a time uh, time limit. So Good Courtney, I know you are very much, um, how can I put this, uh, emotionally invested in what happened yesterday. Um, 
based on what you told me yesterday and you've had a night to process everything, perhaps see more data, see more opinions from other people on this subject, um, where's your head at with what happened and how it went down? Okay, so yesterday I was particularly emotionally invested because um, obviously he's my favourite driver, but I do not want to be seeing a tyre sitting on a driver's head. I don't, I, I don't want to be seeing it. I don't care who it is. Even if that was Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin, if that was Mazepin on the bottom there, I would not want to be seeing a tyre sit sitting on his helmet. So for me, that did add to Arrow's feeling. Um, but upon reflection, I do think that the penalty given to Max was the ideal outcome because, yet yeah, both of them had their, their part to play in it where Lewis could have just given him a little bit more space on the outside on uh, the second part of the chicane. But I think most drivers in Max's position will have gone into the escape road and had a little whinge on a radio. The way Lewis did on, um, on, on the first lap, Max got his elbows out. Lewis wasn't ahead at the time, so Lewis took to the escape road. Mm. Max didn't do that because he's Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen never backs down. The other guy has to back down or they're going to crash. Now, this is an issue we've seen with other drivers in the past. Be it one of my favourite of all time, Senna, where it was always the other driver that had to compromise or there'd be a crash. Now, there's been a few incidents already this season where Lewis has backed out thinking about the championship game. Championship game. But it's getting to the point now where it's happening way too often. So now Lewis is thinking, you know what? I'm not going to back down every time because Max has the, upper gr- has the upper ground here. Max needs to understand that if you're going to do it to me, we're going to crash as well. And this is what we're starting to see. And despite the penalty, we know it's going to continue. But what's going to happen if somebody gets seriously hurt from this? I love the rivalry. It's really, it's been a, it's been a great, it's been a great season. You want to be seeing the best coming up against the, the best. But it's, get, it's getting a little bit too naughty now. And I think with Max, this is just my opinion. I think he needs to be managed better. I think there are too many people, this is my opinion, I think there are too many people that blow smoke up his ass, and he isn't getting told when he's in the wrong. And I think this is a problem. Max will be a multiple world champion. The guy is absolutely amazing. It would have surprised me if he wanted to break Lewis's record. This is how good this guy is. But he's still getting let down by this mindset he has that the other guy has to move or we're going to crash and i blame his management for it so in regards to his management anyone in particular not obviously not to get you to single people Mm -hmm. out but do you feel that there are characters in and around max's inner circle that you feel could perhaps have a more positive impact on his actions as a driver i i look at christian horner in particular um I, it's not even during, um, not even with Verstappen, I saw it with an extent to, uh, with Sebastian Vettel. In my opinion, I think Sebastian Vettel become a better human being when he left Red Bull. I just think at Red Bull, they have this thing where they put somebody on a pedestal and they just don't let them, they just let them believe that they're faultless. And if something happens, it's always the other person's fault. We saw it with Vettel and now we're seeing it with Max. And we've seen the, the, the rhetoric between Christian Horner and um, Toto Wolf, and we saw what happened at Silverstone. You know what? Yeah, it was a it was a terrible incident. Lewis got punished for it, but that was calling for Lewis to get race banned and getting Alex Albon to you know we well, you know what happened with Alex Albon, hmm. and that's just not and, and that 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 kind of behaviour isn't given the Max. Look, Max is a grown man; he can make his own opinions. 
But that's not giving Max the mindset. Like, oh, you know what? I could have had my part to blame in that. And I just, I just feel that these people are actually letting Max down to an extent. Because if Max was to work on his racecraft when it comes to Jordan with other drivers, he will be picking up these accolades even sooner than we would expect him to. Hmm. Certainly a lot to think about. Um, I mean, for me, I oh, this is a hard one. See, when I first saw it, I thought racing incident straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen this uh, replay of this incident probably about a hundred times now, literally, because I I want to be open minded in this to try and make sure that my immediate reaction, if if I was right or if there is definitely scope to see it from the perspective of um, the Hamilton's perspective, Max's perspective, and ultimately the perspective of the stewards who made the decision. Um, I still maintain that the racer in me, and this doesn't hold much merit compared to those guys, but as a racer who has had experience in racing as well, um, I just feel that um, there is definitely an apportion of blame on both parties. There is no one innocent party in all of this. In the same way that it was the right. same in Silverstone, there's not an the innocent second, party. The in second, yeah, the second, the second part of the turn, mm. Lewis could have given him a little bit more space. I agree with that part. Yeah, um, for me, I, I think that I can understand why the logic behind why the stewards gave Max a free place grid penalty. Um, and ultimately, that that penalty, that level of penalty, is not the same as what Lewis got with ten seconds. I think that is basically the softest penalty that they could have given Max Verstappen, i.e. they felt that um, they felt Max was a bit more to blame. And Michael Massey mentioned predominantly to blame. And this is significant. I'm not a fan of them saying that one driver is predominantly to blame when there's two drivers at fault in different proportions for what happened. To me, that's just that they thought Max was a little bit more to blame than Lewis, so they've given Max the penalty and thought, well, that's fine because they probably knew that Red Bull were going to probably use this in Sochi to take the engine penalties anyway to mitigate that. Um, and both drivers crashed out of the race. So it's not like one driver got the benefit. It's not like what happened at Silverstone where Lewis was able to carry on service penalty and then win the race. Ultimately, you can't judge the penalty based on what had happened afterwards. Um, that's just a testament to Lewis and Mercedes to win that race. But in this case, it was a lot more easier. For me, what f- one the part of it that I felt was a bit difficult to understand from the uh, stewards' perspective was that it felt like they were judging the incident based on turn one and turn two as one compounded incident rather than the incident happening at turn two. So because of that, I don't agree with their logic and how they came to the decision that they did. And I'll explain why. Um, And this isn't me saying, oh, you know, uh, Max Verstappen's not at fault. Of course he is um, in terms of his part of the incident. Um, But, you know, Lewis come out of the pits he was obviously not going at the same speed as Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen was coming down the back straight at full speed, and Lewis obviously was coming from a shorter distance because he was coming out of the pits. The moment Lewis goes past the white line to rejoin the circuit, he goes left to defend against Verstappen. Now, he's entitled to do that as long as he doesn't force Max off the road. Max did have to take a little bit of his car, had to go onto the green AstroTurf part on the outside under braking into turn one. Max did carry more speed going around the outside of Lewis into turn one, perhaps a bit more speed than probably he should have. But um, according to article 27.3, and this is me really getting nerdy now. 
um, of the sporting regulations. And I'm quoting this for a reason because I want to make this point. Right, I'm not just doing it to be a clever dick. But in in the sporting regulations, Article 27.3 explains that the drivers must make every reasonable effort to use the track at all times. Right? Now, I'm reading that for a reason because I don't want to misquote that because that is how it's written. Um, And the reason why I bring that up is because I believe Max is making every reasonable attempt to stay on the track. And ultimately he does. Yes, he could take the escape road. I don't accept the argument from a few pundits and some fans, etc, etc, that Max has to take the escape road because it's the only option available to him. The fact that he was able to stay on the road without making contact with Lewis to start with suggests that he should be given what the FIA quoted as racing room to try and attempt turn two. Now, to go a bit further, not to try and, you know, bore people too much on this one to the point where they don't care, but that alone, I believe Max should not have to take the escape road. He could have done if he wanted to, to avoid the incident, but I don't think there's a guide to say the only reason this accident happened is because Max didn't take the escape road. Um, So that gets to the second part. Now, going into turn one, Lewis is ahead, but Max is a long way alongside him. He's not ahead of Lewis or level with him, but he's very close to that. It's when we get to turn two, when, because Lewis is on the inside, he's got a bit more of a margin between the two, but Max is still there. And this is why I feel that Max, when he says that Lewis squeezed him a little bit or could have given him more room, there is some logic to this. But ultimately, because of what's happened at that point where Lewis has gone in, perhaps he could have given him more room, probably could have done, but he didn't. It then tightens up. Then Max goes over the sausage curb and then that causes the collision. Um, long story short, guys, in hindsight, as I, as I pointed out there, I think Max had every right to be in the position he was in. But I also feel that Lewis had every right to be in a position he should have been in. Ultimately, neither of them gave the other one enough to avoid the accident. And, you know, I, I do want to bring this up. The sausage curb is an issue in this. I yeah, think I if there's no say. sausage curb there at all, they mm-hmm. both make the corner. Or at the very exactly. least, there's contact, but they'll still carry on. Um, and the FIA deemed that Max was responsible for the the contact more than Lewis. I can accept that, but I still think it was a racing incident. Um, so, you know, th- those are my two cents on it. That's kind of the complicated, lengthy, excuse me, lengthy explanation on this one. Um, and again, apologies if you're tuning in and you're wondering why Adam sounds like he's got a bad cold, because he does. You just get, you was getting emotional, weren't you? So uh, yeah, it's a very, very emotional moment. So <laughs> that's kind of how I see it. Um, I'm not laying blame on Lewis for not giving Max enough room. I'm not laying blame on Max for... Uh, staying on the circuit when he should have cut. I think they both had their right to do what they wanted to do. But ultimately what happened was you had two drivers that weren't prepared to give each other any more space than they thought they could avoid. And they've come together. I mean, we saw a similar incident between Hamilton and Raikkonen a couple of years ago at Monza and Hamilton was on the outside and Kimi actually gave Lewis a lot more room than Lewis did for Max. And they both made it through. Lewis ultimately got the position. um, And, but in this case, you know, we can compare incidents all we want to, but obviously that's not going to get us anywhere. What I want to mention, Courtney, because we've mentioned a lot on this already, and I want to try and bring this forward now that we've both set our pieces on this. Mm-hmm. Is there a bigger issue here where we've got two drivers right now? And as I said already, Max has a history of being an uncompromising driver. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but when you're in positions where sometimes you have to concede a little bit to see the bigger picture, Max doesn't do that very often. Hardly at all. Lewis used to do that 
in the right moments to avoid a, cl- a clash. Now he's not doing that. Ever since Silverstone, he stopped doing that to the point where we saw this coming. We thought they were going to collide. And at the first opportunity, they did. Is there a fear now that unless the FIA or the stewards step in and try to say to these two, look, guys, I know you're fighting for a championship, but you have to be more considerate to each other in racing. We could see this happen on a more regular basis. So that's the thing, right? So uh, Imola, Spain, and then now you've got the start to this race. You had, a, you had a position there where Lewis compromised. There have been examples of where Lewis has compromised. So I think I'm going to reference um, the interview that Max uh, took part in afterwards, where he, he quoted, it takes two drivers, takes both drivers to be on board for these kind of moves to work. Okay, Max, that includes you, because there have been, there have been various examples this season where Lewis has compromised and Max has benefited from Lewis's compromises. When has Max compromised? We haven't seen this yet. So I don't think Max is actually in a position to, to make statements like that until he does it himself. And, I, and that's where I'll go back to my original point. Yeah, I said in a slightly emotive fashion, this is where Max's management comes into it because Lewis was guilty of this at the, in the early stages, in early stages of his career. And he's obviously had some frank words from certain people in his life that said to him, look, you can be a much better driver if you compromise in these kind of positions. And Max needs the right people around him to um, to take him to that next level. But to go off on a slight tangent, you know, there's been this whole hype about um, Emma Raducanu, I can't say her name properly, winning Raducanu. the tennis, winning, yeah. Yeah, winning the US Open. And, you know, I've been listening to uh, TalkSport and a lot of people have been made a good point. She could go on to win so many more Grand Slams if she's surrounded by the right people. And the same applies to Max. Max could be one of the, if not the best drivers of all time. But I just feel right now, there are certain people around him that aren't giving him the constructive criticism when he needs it. That constructive criticism is going to make him a much better driver because the guy already has the speed. If he has to work on that racecraft, it's going to be difficult to stop. And I just think there are people around him that need to have that conversation with him to improve him as a driver. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, You're absolutely right. You know, when Max says both drivers need to comply in these situations, or so to speak, um, he's right, but he has to be one of those two drivers. He can't expect someone else to do it for him because you end up in a bit of a prisoner's dilemma um, where there's an expectation on both sides that the other one is going to give way to them. But knowing that would make them think, well, I don't have to. So I'll always win. But if both of them think like that, as we've seen, ultimately, you end up with both of them in the gravel or one car on top of another. Um, By the way, a lot of people that are probably angry by that. And, and, you know, I was very much concerned for Lewis's safety and the Halo did a fantastic job. I think we should not forget that it was a very scary moment and the Halo did its job. If if it wasn't there, who knows what could have happened? You know, you don't want to think about it. Um. But this is why I mentioned the sausage curb and I feel like the FI and the stewards really need to look at getting rid of those in certain areas because it's not the first time we've had a big accident in Monza. I remember there was an F3 race a couple of years ago at the end of Parabolica. There was a sausage curb there and it sent a car flying up into the uh, into the barriers and it was really scary and they've got rid of I it since. Why, yeah, I don't know why they have them there. No, but ultimately that is what causes that um, the red ball to topple over the Mercedes. Mm. If it's not there, they might collide. 
But there's no way, unless they bounce on each other's tyres and it sends Max up like that, it's not going to happen. So I think they really do need to look at them sausage curves a bit more. I'm surprised more people aren't talking about this. Maybe it's because they're distracted by what happened between them two yeah. and they've ignored the fact that ultimately that is what caused Max to mount Lewis's car quite literally. And that's where this slot argument comes in, though, why Max should have taken to this gate road, given the circumstances, because they do go through these safety briefings. They know where those bollards are. And that's why, you know what, it's so easy just to say it as a guy talking through a phone. But, you know, in, in these split moments, you know, the, these are the kind of moments that define the champion. Yeah, I do think right. I, do, I do think he should have taken to this gate road only because there was a sausage curb there. Let, let me stress that. Because if there wasn't a sausage curb there, yeah, stick with it. But because there was a sausage curb there, you've gone, oh shit, that's there. I'm going to go onto the escape road and have a whinge on the radio. Yeah, no, the, the, there is some truth to that. I, I think the only rebuttal I would offer, and and this is what I think Max Verstappen would probably say, is that the only reason why he was in that position is because Lewis forced him unnecessarily wide into turn one. Um, and he could have given Max a bit more room going there. That's my opinion on that, because I feel like the only reason Max is where he is is because he's had to go very wide into turn one because of where Lewis has forced him. Now, of course, I don't think you should really set that kind of precedent where it encourages drivers to force someone as wide as they possibly can so that they've got no choice. I mean, admittedly, on lap one, Max and Lewis went together at turn four, and they went in quite quickly and of course Lewis backed out of it but then I will argue that I think Lewis would have gone wide in that corner anyway because he was going pretty quickly and he was hoping Max was not going to match him and then Max did to cover the inside and the two of them had a little bit of contact and Lewis went wide you know make that what you will I wouldn't use that to compare to the other incident because I don't think you can there's there's two separate incidents and separate situations in the race etc etc stuff that we've seen so many times before but um there's always going to be, I just feel in that situation, you're absolutely right to point out that if Max had done what he did, they would have avoided the incident easily. And I think that's what the expectation of the FIA was on the stewards. They they said that themselves, but I just think that contradicts some of the stuff that they've already mentioned in terms of hard, fair racing. I really do. But um, look, I think ultimately what we need is a situation where the two of them can come together and if it's possible just between the two of them agree that we need to give each other a little bit more space or a bit more consideration in these incidents. But when they're happening so quickly, your split second judgments are ultimately what determines the outcome of an incident. Um, And I just don't see it changing. I certainly hope we don't end up with a situation where we have a Red Bull mounted a Mercedes or vice versa in the way that we did at Monza. Um, Nobody wants to see that. And it's brilliant. We had the halo to protect Lewis in that situation. Um, but I just feel that these two, I would be very surprised if these two don't come together again yeah, before the end of the season. So something's got to give. I, I just, I'm, I'm in no position to say who should do what. I don't think either of them should feel obligated to do it, but I think they both have to understand that they're going to have to be a bit more respectful towards each other um, in order to, you know, these two to race hard and fair for how they did for most of the part of the season before Silverstone. Well, yeah, because it's tarnishing what has been a good championship. Yeah, you know what? Lewis has had a little bit of luck with the incidents in Silverstone and um, Hungary. I think Max and Red Bull have been better. But overall, we've had a good championship. And there is a healthy respect between the two drivers. There is, despite some of the body language from Max after the crash, there is a respect between the two drivers for their abilities. And that's why 
they're letting themselves down with how they're conducting themselves with these kind of moves. Yeah. But what that means ultimately is the uh, stewards have determined that Max Verstappen will be given a free place grid penalty for Sochi, uh, the Russian Grand Prix in two weeks' time. But I think you and I, Courtney, and a lot of people probably feel that Red Bull are going to use that race as the best opportunity to put the new power units into Max's car and everything else. So he'll probably start at the back um, and try and make his way through the field. And it's a track where you can overtake pretty easily. Uh, and the Red Bulls should be very, very strong. So even if Hamilton or Bottas, whoever it is at Mercedes, goes on to win that race, Red Bull probably think they might be able to get on a podium from the back. It's certainly possible. Um, which brings us nicely to the next drivers I want to talk about in Bottas and Perez. And uh, I've got to say, you know, Daniel Ricciardo, definitely the star of the weekend, and Lando Norris up there as well. But Fauci Bottas has to be mentioned as one of the other stars of the weekend. I mean... It's amazing what can happen for a driver's confidence when you've got your future secured and you're not worrying about where you're going to be driving next season. And I think for the first time in a long time, we saw the best Valtteri Bottas. I mean, Bottas has always operated at a very high level um, in most cases, but he was stellar this weekend. He was untouchable in qualifying, equally untouchable in the sprint race. Um, Max was always kept at bay quite easily. And he worked his way all the way through the back of the field on pace and got himself onto the podium from the very back of the grid. I mean, I don't care who you are. That is an incredible job. Um, what did you make of Bottas this weekend? Yeah, you're, I think uh, you put it nicely there. Um, he's behaving like a guy that's had the shackles taken off him. Um, the circumstances, he earned the qualifying. Um, he benefited from uh, Lewis's poor start. But it would have been out of order on him anyway, because we know he'll have been asked to move over for Lewis for the extra points and obviously starting at the front. So in a way, he benefited from Lewis's bad start. But you know what? For Valtteri, that's a great thing because he earned, he earned the, the first place for the sprint and he put in a solid performance. Unfortunately, he had to go to the back. But, you know, one of the criticisms I've had for Valtteri is that, you know, struggling to overtake. But he's, he's one of the best overtakers on the race itself. So... He'd be very happy with that performance. And you're right, I just, I just think he has that pressure off him now. And, you know, he will have a little bit of a fuck you mentality as well. But I think putting those both things both things together, I think it's only going to benefit Mercedes in this Constructor Championship. I, I think at this point, I have a feeling that Max is going to win the Drivers' Championship. But I think this newfound form from Valtteri could well win Mercedes' Constructors' Championship. It could do. He's certainly driving at the moment um, like someone who, you know, he, he knows his situation for next season. He knows what he's got to do for the rest of this one. And he's very much playing his part now. And and to be fair to Valtteri, he has been for most of this season. Ultimately, his goal this season for Mercedes has been be better than Red Bull's number two driver. And on the occasion, disrupt Verstappen. The latter one, up for debate, probably not been able to do much about that, but he's certainly been more solid for Mercedes than Perez has for Red Bull, respectively. Um, and, and speaking of Perez as well, you know, the, the, again, I think we have to judge this as a bit of a mixed bag for Perez because qualifying wasn't great. He managed to get himself into ninth in the sprint, which ultimately wasn't worth any points, but it was a better qualifying position for the main race. And then he got himself all the way up into P3, and then let himself down by getting a stupid five-second penalty for a very similar incident that he avoided in the sprint as well after what happened with Charles Leclerc. I mean, 
Perez said that Leclerc forced him off and, you know, he had no choice and he decided to keep the position. He thought it was unfair to have to give it back. I mean, do you, how do you feel about that one, Courtney? Do you think Perez should have just let Leclerc go or do you think he was a bit stupid knowing that he probably could have got the Ferrari anyway and ended up getting that P3? Yeah, I think it's a case of uh, a little bit of red mist from um, from Perez and it's cost him slightly. I mean, it could have been it could have been worse for him. I mean, he still finished in a relatively decent position, even with the with the penalty. But I think you're right. He definitely had a mixed weekend. It's probably an average weekend for Perez. He's just not quite there. I do question the uh, the lack of development on his car. I do feel the majority of the resources are going on Max's car, and we're not really seeing the best of what Perez has to offer. Which is a shame. I think next season is going to be a massive one for him because you, you can see pressure building on that second seat of Red Bull. I just hope that Red Bull give him the, to- the tools and the toys that he needs in order to prove himself. Yeah, very true. Um, I mean, I've heard this a lot. A lot of people saying that Perez's car has not been developed anywhere near as much as Verstappen's is. And it makes me wonder, well, first of all, why? Would you do that? I mean, I can understand giving Max all the resources possible to win this championship, but if Red Bull really, really want to help Max Verstappen, they need to give him a number two driver or a car with that maybe number two it's a driver in. Cap. Quite possibly. I mean, maybe, but um, I find it very strange that they put all their eggs in just the one basket to try and win the constructors. I mean, yes, Red Bull want Max to win the drivers' championship, but um, they, if that is true, they need to do more to give Perez a, a more of a fighting chance to. Um, Get in those positions. I mean, there could be some truth to it. I really do think that could be possible. I mean, I've never seen anything official to say to me that um, Perez is not getting anywhere near as much as Max is in terms of the upgrades on his car. But um, the deficit between them on out-and-out pace is quite shocking. So there could be some element of truth to that. I'm not sure. Either way, you know... I'd love to know, though. I'd love yeah, to know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've heard it a lot. A lot of people keep saying it, and... I have no, I've never been forwarded any sources or seen any news or any technical experts to, uh, agreeing with this theory. They've we, they've all come to the conclusion, like we have, that Perez has been underperforming in qualifying. Uh, and ultimately, that is what's putting him so far down the order. And he's always having to play catch-up. Um, I mean, even if Red Bull aren't developing that car, it should still be faster in his hands than the Ferraris at most circuits or the McLarens or the Alfa Tauris, you know, they shouldn't, he shouldn't be embedded in the midfield and struggling to get through. Um, so Perez does need to do more. It's weekends like this where ultimately the Constructors' Championship is going to be decided, where we saw Valtteri put in a stellar performance this weekend, got on a podium after starting dead last, uh, and then you've got Perez who started a bit further ahead of him and finished behind him because of his own mistakes. It's that sort of thing that, will cost Perez and will put more pressure on him next season if Red Bull don't win the Constructors' Championship for him to keep his seat for the next season. So we'll have to wait and see um, what Perez does. I mean, he, he did look better this weekend, but again, a few little mistakes and it's cost him some championship points and also some bragging rights. I mean, I'm sure Bottas is his target and he wouldn't have enjoyed being beat by Valtteri despite the fact that Valtteri started at the back of the field, even if he had a faster car. Um Look, above all else, Mercedes have made ground on Red Bull. Um, this was a track where they expected to be very, very strong. Uh, ultimately, it, it didn't work out from the way that they would have wanted for the Drivers' Championship. But um, there's still plenty of action to go. Uh, would you say this weekend 
if we judge it solely on Mercedes and Red Bull, how both teams would have seen their weekends possibly going, do you think Red Bull would be the happier of the two or do you think Mercedes would be happier out of the two? I think Red Bull will be um, because it's something else we discussed. We're a bit obsessed with development. Um, it does look like Red Bull still developing Max's car and it doesn't look like Mercedes are putting much. You know, we discussed this a few weeks ago where, you know, we feel that Mercedes are more focused on 2022 and Red Bull really want this one. Mm. Um, I just feel that this, these new developments on the Red Bull are going to give Max the, uh, I think, as I said, I think Max is going to win the constructor, uh, the, the driver's championship. But I think Mercedes are going to win the constructors, mainly because of Valtteri's performance. Um, Valtteri's performing better than Perez, as simple as that. So I think that's how it's going to play out. Well, I think Valtteri's a better driver than Sergio mm-hmm. Perez. Um, I think Valtteri Bottas is still one of the best drivers in Formula 1. I just think that um, a lot of people have kind of overlooked that because of how comprehensively beaten he is by Lewis Hamilton on a regular basis. And I think, you know, it's that thing with Lewis that people seem to forget how good he is or what he's achieved, almost to the point where you kind of give caveats to his opponents thinking that he's getting beat, like Bottas is getting beat by a complete nobody when the reality is he's getting beaten by the, the greatest driver of all time statistically. So yeah, it's a very strange one uh, with Valtteri. I think people are probably going to appreciate his real value after he's left Mercedes and hopefully he can bring that to Alfa Romeo next season going forward. We'll have to wait and see. Incidentally, I almost forgot to mention Courtney, uh, I ran a poll on the DNF one page on the Verstappen Hamilton incident and asked our followers to basically vote for how they saw it. And uh, surprisingly, 56% ruled that it was a racing incident, um, which was quite a shock. I was very much expecting one of the drivers to have the lion's share of the votes, but um, no, um, and just for obviously the benefit of filling out the rest of them, 26% felt it was Verstappen's fault, and then 18 thought it was Lewis's fault. So um, probably if I was to... That's a pretty, yeah, hmm. that's a pretty accurate uh, representation of where I feel people stand on it, though. I, I think I think that's about where I stand on it, to be honest, in yeah. terms of if you're going to portion blame in the incidents, like you go, Max can have 30, Lewis can have 20 and 50 for a racing. It's, there you go, everyone's happy. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's quite interesting to see how our followers think. Incidentally, guys, of course, if you want to comment in on your opinions, I do want to ask you to please keep it respectable. Um, please do not slander either of the two drivers. Even if you don't like them and you want to give an honest opinion, that's absolutely more than welcome and love that and we're happy to discuss with you but I will not accept anybody going and saying, oh, Lewis is this or Max is this and everything else like to slander them. Like, let's keep this respectful because we're talking about two very competitive drivers in a big incident. And the most important thing is everyone got away okay. That's the most important thing. Um, And we want to keep it that way going forward. Um, Before we get into the... uh, the five-star reviews, if you like, uh, or the star reviews, as we like to call them. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Ferrari, just briefly. Oh, you have to. It's home Grand Prix. Yeah, absolutely. Home Grand Prix. Um, you know, P4 for Charles Leclerc, I think it was, and uh, was it P6 for Sainz? Um, very nearly got P5 Sainz, but he just wasn't close enough to Perez to get the benefit of that five-second penalty. Um, if you were to con- deconstruct Ferrari's weekend, do you feel that they'd be happy with their performance, or do you feel that it's going to be overshadowed by the fact that McLaren ended up getting first and second. Yeah, spot on. I think if McLaren hadn't won that race, they'd have been extremely happy. So if you're just looking at their own performance, 
they will be happy with it because they expected to really struggle. God, if you look at where they were last season compared to how they are, how they were um, for the this year's Grand Prix, they've come along leaps and bounds in that regard. You know, you they, you could use that as a blueprint of how far Ferrari have come in the last year. So I think they will be happy. They'll just be a bit gutted that McLaren have done as well as they have. And I think they'll be cautiously optimistic for the rest of the season, you know, even though McLaren won. Mm. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, I mean, when I was watching, I was quite happy with what Ferrari are doing. And I thought it was going to be a difficult weekend for them. Monza usually is for Ferrari. Surprisingly, the home circuit, it's always, um, you know, this is a track that they've had more success at than any other team. Um, Ferrari have won more races at that circuit than any team has won anywhere else. So, you know, it's a circuit where the Tifosi expect and even though they were there in a limited number compared to what we would like to see owing still to the COVID pandemic. Um, I think you kind of got to take stock and say it was a good weekend for Ferrari. I think they did the best job they possibly could, both drivers. Um, fourth and sixth, the way things have been going this season, they'd have very much taken that at any circuit. Um, and they were unlucky not to get a podium. Charles Leclerc was very unlucky. I think if uh, those rumoured um, upgrades Ferrari were going to get on their engine. If they had them this weekend, there's a very good chance that Ferrari may have been on the podium, maybe more. Um, Charles Leclerc said this weekend was one of his best performances um, in his career. He said that quite a lot this season, but to be fair, I think this has been his most solid season so far as a driver. Far from perfect, but I think he's been very good. Uh, Carlos Sainz did very well to recover after that crash in FP2, I believe it was. Uh, we had a nasty crash coming out of Ascari. He managed to recover from that and still get a P6. Could have been more, but, you know, I'm a bit nitpicking, really, under the circumstances. So, um, yeah, I think they'll lick their wounds on this one, be happy for McLaren, and then hopefully try and claw that back. It's an exciting battle between those two teams. It really is. You know, Ferrari have a fantastic weekend last weekend. McLaren go and have an incredible weekend this weekend. And who knows? Ferrari may find themselves on the podium or maybe more at Saucy. You know, this is just how good you things have been. <laughs> yeah, these two teams have been fantastic. Um, they really have been. And hopefully that continues towards the end of the season between those two. Because this a great is, battle. yeah, because this is it shows for in that. If, because you have Max against Lewis and then usually you have uh, Bottas and Perez. Or you, generally, they tend to struggle. We know Valtteri's picked up his form. So if we have a situation where Lewis and Max hit each other again, there could be an opportunity for Ferrari. If McLaren can do it, Ferrari can too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we go to our reviews, I do want to mention one more team if I can. Um, mm-hmm. Alpha Tauri. What a diff- what a terrible weekend for them. Um, a weekend, obviously they're one of their home Grand Prix as well. Not their home home Grand Prix. Of course, we had that at Imola. But, um, you know, considering that we were here last year, Pierre Gasly, the romantic fairy tale story getting his first win after the uh, period he just you know come back from at Red Bull and obviously losing Antoine Hubert was obviously very very terrible for him um he had such a great weekend but um this weekend despite his best efforts it went horribly wrong for him wasn't able to start the race neither was Yuki Tsunoda of course for this for similar reasons um I mean how do you pick the bones out of that one for Alpha Tower? It was a weekend that probably promised quite a lot for them, and it just never really happened for them. It really is a complete nightmare compared to what we saw 12 months ago. It's a missed opportunity. Uh, Pierre Gasly could have got a good haul of points in this race. He was he was there or thereabouts, just, you know, just behind the, uh, you know, if you have the likes of McLaren and Mercedes and Max Verstappen, he was there or thereabouts, you know, when it comes to practice and qualifying. 
unfortunately, these things happen. As brutal as it is, it happens to the best teams and they just got hit hard this weekend. Yeah. They just have to lick their wounds and move on. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, for Pierre Gasly, it was a difficult one for them. Um, and, and of course, Pierre had such a great qualifying, you know, getting it, mm-hmm. was it P4? Uh, or P5, something like that. And yeah, then, yeah, and then he got that front wing caught underneath him in the sprint, which took him completely out of contention as he crashed at Curva Grande. Uh, very unfortunate. Fortunately, he was okay. It was a slow crash, but he was okay. And then, of course, in the main race, both him and Sonoda weren't able to start. It was an absolute nightmare for them. So um, they'll come back stronger, but they really could have done with trying to get more for them than they actually did. It was just really unfortunate. Um, let's talk about the reviews now. Um, Obviously, we did this before the Dutch Grand Prix, guys. We're trying this now where Courtney and I give uh, reviews out of five stars. Obviously, five stars being the highest and half a star being the lowest. We're not going to give anybody zero stars, um, although I'm probably sure there's one or two candidates that could be worthy of that this weekend. But um, let's uh, run through this Wonder Randolph this episode, Courtney. So let's start with our race winners, McLaren, um, Danny Ricciardo and Lando Norris, P1 and P2. And of course, we should include... Uh, sprint results and qualifying performances as well as this is sprint weekend. So, Courtney, I'm pretty certain I know what we're going to go for, but Danny, Rick and Lando Norris, out of five stars, what are you going to give them? Five stars for Danny, Rick, four and a half for Lando. Oh, can I ask why four and a half stars for Lando? Because um, I want to give them both five stars each, to be honest. I think Lando did have an opportunity to be a bit higher up in qualifying and he missed the opportunity. And that's the only reason why I'm not going to give him the five stars. No, no, fair enough. Um, I'm going to give him five stars because obviously Danny Rick was phenomenal this weekend, by far the best driver and deserved winner. Um, And Lando Norris, yes, qualifying, he could have been a little bit better, but um, he recovered that in the sprint. Um, He got a great start, get ahead of Lewis Hamilton and held him up very, very nicely. Uh, in P3, and then, of course, got to P2 um, on merit. Of course, we should say that he managed to get ahead of Lewis and Max owing to their slow pit stops. Um, but, of course, you know, he took advantage of that. And uh, he was brilliant to play the team game. He very much could have been tempted to go for the win. I remember one Sebastian Vettel not playing in the team game at the Malaysian Grand Prix, uh, what was it 2012, something like that, uh, or 2013, one of the two, and the old multi-21 incident with Mark Webber. So that's an example of where, it didn't go wrong, they obviously finished one and two, but it's an example of where something like that can be really risky, give everyone a heart palpitation, etc. in the garage, watching them two fighting out when they've got one and two almost guaranteed. But uh, no, I'm going to give Lando a five-star. He played the team game brilliantly well, and a P2, only to his teammate, I don't think McLaren could have asked much more than what they got. So yeah, five-stars for those guys. Um, let's go to Red Bull, uh, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. I'm going to give them both free um, because up until Max's crash, he did actually have a solid weekend. And I just think, given the incident, I'm going to knock down a couple of low stars. Yeah. Um, qualifying was good for Max. Very nearly got it on pole, um, even though we thought that Mercedes were going to be very, very strong. Ultimately, they were with Bottas with that fresh engine. Um, sprint race... You know, he managed to get ahead, stay ahead of Hamilton. Um, you know, so it was good. I'm going to give Max two and a half, ultimately, because, um, you know, despite everything that I've argued to saying that, you know, it was it was not 50-50, but both drivers had a part to play in it. In hindsight, if Max did concede to Lewis on that occasion 
and you're right, he lost a few points to Lewis, he still gets more points. Ultimately, the championship situation is going to be better for him as a result of this, and that's not me implying the tactical foul as Damon Hill referred to it to the Sky F1 pundit, and I thought that was a bit inappropriate for him to say that because it's, you know, that I, I'm not a fan of, unless it's obvious that they deliberately did that. I mean, the, the example of a tactical foul, if you like, in F1 is what Schumacher did to him uh, in Adelaide why, 94. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, still, uh, but also yeah. Senna Prost in 1990. And also mm. Damon Hill, when he took out Michael at the British Grand Prix in 1995, when he was never going to pass Michael, he just went straight on. That would be what I'd consider to be a tactical foul. What happened with Max and Lewis? No, no. I think Toto said it in jest, but I don't think Toto really meant that. But then everyone starts quoting it as if Toto was trying to have a dig at Max, which I thought... Hold on, no, he wasn't doing that. He actually said he thought it was a racing incident. If anything, it was what Red Bull was saying, um, Christian Horner and Max Verstappen afterwards, where they probably thought, actually, we might have messed up a bit here. And I think Andre Shovlin at Mercedes actually um, doubled down on that. He actually felt that their body language, con- compared to what they did at Silverstone, where they were literally going for Lewis, probably suggested that they felt that they probably were in the wrong this time around. So, you know, he's always interested to pick up on that. But no, I'm going to give Max two and a half stars because... Um, you know, that kind of crash. Um, the pit stop wasn't his fault, but ultimately he's come away with no points or one point, if you like, from, or was it one point? Yeah, from two points from the sprint, sorry. Um, so he does increase his lead, but yeah, two and a half stars for Max. Uh, Perez, I'll give him a 3.5, three and a half stars because um, Perez could have got on a podium and I think that would have been a solid performance under the circumstances, but that silly mistake, um, not letting the Charles Leclerc have the place back um, and he did the same thing in the sprint race as well, although he did the place back. So um, just those little mistakes cost Perez and he could have got a bit more. And ultimately losing out to Bottas and Mercedes is a big feeling as well. Um, Mercedes, Hamilton and Bottas. I'm going to give Valtteri, you know, I'm going to give Valtteri five. Hmm. I'm going to give Valtteri five, given the circumstances. He had a flawless weekend. Um, Lewis. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna give him two and a half because there was a lot of promise going into this weekend. Um, you know, messed up, messed up the start in the sprint race, and then obviously you had the incident with Max. Um, bit of a scruffy weekend for his own standards. So yeah, I'm gonna give him two and a half. I'm gonna be probably a bit harsh on Lewis, um, and I'll explain why now. I know it's easy to think that you just give him the same rating as Max Verstappen because of what happened in the main race. But because of the reasons you've already mentioned in the sprint and also in qualifying where he underperformed, I'm going to give him one and a half stars. I think this has been one of Lewis's worst weekends. And look, I know I've been quite critical of Lewis in recent weeks, owing that he needs to improve on certain things. But I say that with the utmost respect for him in the fact that this season he has come up against a formidable opponent in Verstappen. And by comparison, other than the first four races of the season, his level was not being where it should be because the first four races, he was phenomenal. After that, not so good um, by comparison. Obviously, you know, Red Bull have had a better car competitively over most of those races, but the mistakes that Lewis has made, I've expected better from him in that regard. And I think on a day like a weekend, like we saw, he made another mistake with a poor start. Um, qualifying, obviously, he didn't get it on pole. We expected him to do that um, because we're so used to Lewis doing that. So it was a bit of a surprise that he didn't. Maybe the fresh engine Bottas had gave him a sizable advantage. You know, we'll never know. Um, but then, of course, his part in the incident with Max. And ultimately, as you said, Courtney, with Lewis Hamilton, 
this weekend was a weekend that he would have targeted to try and get back ahead of Max in the championship. I can't think of many more weekends. Maybe Soshi, because of the nature of Verstappen's penalty, they may put him at the back with the new engine. But this was really a weekend that Lewis needed to, you know, put, lay down a, a marker or put some damage to Red Bull and Verstappen. And he's come away this weekend, two points worse off against Max than he was going in. So, Agreed. you know, as unfortunate as it was, the incident with Max, I've got to say it was not a good weekend for Lewis anyway. Even if Lewis had finished just ahead of Max, that would have been about an average weekend for him anyway, because it could have been so much more. It really could have been. So, yeah, one and a half for Lewis. And yeah, five stars for Valtteri. Superb weekend for him on pole position. Um, won the sprint quite convincingly and, you know, got a podium. And to be honest, if he didn't have to take those engine penalties, he probably could have won as well. So, um, yeah. and, and I'm pretty certain if Lewis was there, he would have given Lewis the benefit of the, of the advantage and let him through, but he didn't have to because Lewis wasn't there. So, no, brilliant stuff from Valtteri. Um, Ferrari, Leclerc and Sainz. Going to give Leclerc four and a half, and I'm going to give Sainz four. Um, yeah, I would say that right. I'll give them both four and a half because um, I think Sainz was very unlucky not to get P5. But uh, I think considering that the way his weekend went, he was, a you know, his accident, um, I think he drove pretty well. So I think, no, good weekends for both of them. It's just unfortunately been sullied because of how good McLaren were. Um, so no, good performances yeah. from them. Um, who's next? Uh, let's do the easy one. Let's do Alpha Tauri. Since, uh, I mean, what can we say? I mean, I'm just going to keep it easy. I'm just going to say, uh, I don't think we can, ju- can we really judge them? I mean, well, I, I mean, we could, I'd, 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 uh, well, Gasly qualified really, brilliantly, didn't he? Yeah, Got that's P- the thing. With qualifying, I think you have to give you have to give Pierre some some credit for what he did in qualifying. But Yuki Snowden did absolutely he did absolutely nothing really. No, he went out in Q one because he got through to Q two, yeah. and then his lap time got deleted, which put George Russell back into Q two. So um, I'm going to give Gasly based on his qualifying performance and how unfortunate he was to benefit the doubt. So I'll give him uh, three and a half stars. You know, I think that's fair. Yuki, mm. two and a half. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Okay, so let's do a nice uh, easier one. Let's do um, Alpine, Ocon and Alonso. Um, Alonso, P8 and Ocon, P10. going to give Alonso four and I'm going to give Ocon three because Ocon got involved with a few tangles, didn't he? So yeah, I'm going to give Ocon three. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. Um, I think Alonso did a good job. Um, the only reason why I wouldn't score Alonso higher because ultimately he finished behind Lance Stroll in the Aston Martin. So yeah, four stars for Fernando. Three and a half for Ocon. He had a good weekend, but as you said, he, he got caught up in a few tangles and was a bit naughty in a few places. So um, yeah, yeah, three and a half in four for Fernando. Um, Aston Martin, Stroll obviously finishing in P7. And Sebastian Vettel, he had a very difficult weekend. He was very much in the battles this weekend. Every time we went on board with Vettel, he was almost like having an incident with someone or someone was going into him. It was really weird, but um, ended up P12. Um, so they've lost a bit more ground to Alpine, who very much seem to be running away with this fifth place at the moment. But um, they still gained some ground on AlphaTauri. So how do you think, how would you rate their weekends? I think, all things considered, give Lance Stroll four with a package that he has. It was a pretty solid result for him. And given everything that happened with Sebastian, I'll probably give him a three. Yeah. Seb's had better weekends and he's been quite mm. solid of late. 
Uh, Stroll had a much better weekend. There was a bit of a strange moment between them two on the first lap where Stroll went right. very wide at um, one of the, was it one of the Les- Lesmo corners? Um, yeah, it, it, got, it, it bogged Sebastian Vettel down, didn't it? Yeah, and even though they didn't make contact, um, I think it was a bit silly from Lance because whilst, um, you know, you're racing on the first lap is a bit hectic, I think when you know your teammate's there, you've got to try and give them a little bit more leeway and not try to force them out the way that he did. So um, it was quite dangerous. And in the end, you know, you're both trying to fight for the Constructors' Championship. The last thing you're going to be doing is compromising your teammate. Um but other than that, the performance from Stroll was very, very good on the day. Um, and I think he deserves, yeah, I'd say four stars for Stroll and, uh, yeah, three for Seb. I think it was quite underwhelming this weekend, but he was very much in the wars today. He seemed to be having, like, Mick Schumacher as well, another one with him. So he's very unfortunate, uh, Sebastian Vettel, but it's just one of those days, I suppose. Um, it was nice. He had a little nice little battle with Fernando Alonso. They were racing each other. And um, it's funny because when we saw them two battling um, early on, in, I think it was in the sprint that they were having a nice little battle between each other in the first set. It reminded me of all of the videos we've seen of them two going at it for Red Bull and Ferrari many, many years ago when they were racing at Curva Grande. And Seb was a little bit naughty on that occasion. Didn't give Fernando the space. Didn't leave him the space at all. Um, and got a little penalty for that as well. But that was quite fun to see them two going at it. Um, who haven't we done? We haven't done Alfa Romeo. Um, Giovinazzi, I mean... It's a tale of two kinds of weekends for him, isn't it? Because he was brilliant in qualifying, got into Q3. Of, wasn't he P7 behind, or P8, something like that? He was high up. He did really well in qualifying. Yeah, he was fantastic in qualifying. And then in the sprint race, he made a mistake um, by, I think it was, yeah, sprint race. He made a mistake by coming across uh, Carlos Sainz on the exit of La Roja Chicane and then ended up damaging his front wing by going into the barrier. And... Um, I suppose with Giovinazzi, Courtney, now that his future is so uncertain and it looks likely at the moment that he may not be in a seat next year at Alfa Romeo, he's been driving phenomenally well. He did the same in Zandvoort. He got a brilliant qualifying performance and did one in the race. And it almost makes you think, if Antonio Giovinazzi drove every single race like his career was on the line, he would not have to worry about his career being on the line. It's, he's a bit of an enigma, isn't he? This speed's kind of come out of nowhere. Um, but I, I, I still feel he's left it a bit too late. Mm. Um, and for that reason, I am going to give both drivers three stars because I think Kubitz has actually done a fairly solid job given that he's, you know, he hasn't really been in a decent Formula 1 car for quite some time now. Yeah, I'm going to give Robert Kubitz a four and a half stars. I'm okay. going to be very generous. I mean, Gio, I'll give him a three and a half because he was his brilliant qualifying performance, but he let himself down in the sprint and in the race, obviously. It was just compounded. Um, but no, I'm going to give Kubica four and a half stars. One, because he didn't finish dead last. He finished ahead of Mick Schumacher in the house, although that might have been expected. Two, as you said, he's had very little running. Um, so it does, and a sprint weekend as well, that's going to take it out of him very physically. I mean, we all know Robert, um, for obvious reasons, is not as physically able or as, as, as strong as the other drivers in that regard. So he has to sort of adapt with his injury to his arm, left arm, I think it is. Um, so, you know, he's had to accommodate for that. And I think he did rather well. The other reason why I want to give Robert a high rating this weekend is by finishing in P14, he's now overtaken Nikita Mazepin in the driver's championship because he's finished higher. So now officially Nikita Mazepin is 21st in a 20 car championship. 
<laughs> it's Love not it. really what you want to hear if you're a fan of Nikita Mazepin. But they, I mean, it happened to George Russell last year um, mm. when uh, Kubica stepped in for Alfa Romeo. So, oh, something like that. So, yeah, very, very strange one. But uh, I think we ended up with 23 cars competing in the championship last year because we had Enzo Fittipaldi for Haas and we also had Jack Aitken for Williams as well. So, um, yeah, quite busy there. But yeah, no, a strange day for Alfa Romeo. No points in the end for them, but, you know, some signs of promise, I suppose. And the good news, of course, Kimi is coming back for the Russian Grand Prix in two weeks' time. He's confirmed that. So we're looking forward to seeing Kimi back for the uh, rest of the season, hopefully, as he rounds out his F1 career. Um, Williams. Almost forgot about Williams, eh? A, a really good weekend for them, actually. George Russell, P9. So, in the points, once again, George Russell. He's uh, very much in the mood celebrating his new Mercedes contract, and he managed to get some points. And uh, Nicholas Satifi in P11. Not too far from the points either. So, uh, how, what ratings would you give those guys? Yeah, I'm going to give George four and a half. Thought he's done with the car. I, I think we're taking it for granted now, Williams uh, getting points. They've done, they've done brilliant with the drivers. I'm going to give Latifi four. I think Latifi's starting to step up, you know? I think he's mm. starting to uh, finally get some recognition, some actual like Formula One stock, if that makes sense. Um, and he's doing it a very good time. I think if he keeps this up next season, he might find himself in a very stable position. He's he's he seems that he's really finally adapted to being in Formula One. Yeah, I mean Latifi's been a good asset for the Williams team this season, and he certainly stepped up in the last couple of months. It's one. Of, it's another one of those drivers that I think now that his future's secure, he's a bit more freer in what he wants to do and he's driving better. And uh, technically speaking, he uh, managed to out-qualify George Russell for the first time um, by finishing ahead of him in the sprint. So I don't know how that counts in terms of the statistics. I'm sure it must count. Um, so George Russell's 50-race streak of beating a Williams teammate has now officially come to an end. Um, so... Look, it depends on how you see it, but I mean, technically it counts. It's in the record book. So no, good job for Latifi. Didn't get any points, but you know, is what it is. So no, good job for him. Four stars, four and a half for Russell. Definitely um, points. Once again, three out of four races now he's got in the points. Uh, it just seems that George is now becoming a magnet to points. Now, you you know, it's like London buses. You don't get one for ages and then two come at once. Or in this case, three. So uh, no, good job for them. And then it rounds us off nicely to the final team in this ratings. And that's Haas and... Uh, Mick Schumacher, P15. Um, he had a difficult time in the sprint race. He was dead last in that. Um, but And had an incident with Seb Vettel at the start. But he managed to recover it. Kept his nose clean, just about. And last of the confirmed runners. But P15, it's never a bad thing. Um, and then, of course, you've got Nikita Mazepin, who retired from the race. Had a collision with Mick Schumacher, where he spun him ran and got a penalty. I mean... One thing I do want to mention with Huss is we've got two drivers right now, very inexperienced, but they always seem to be coming together and having these incidents. We had a few incidents this season. We've had one at recently, the Dutch Grand Prix, that was quite dangerous. Um, and the, both of them are just arguing back and forth, putting the, the onus on the other one to improve. I mean, Huss are in a bit of a predicament, Corny, because, you know, this year was meant to be a year about letting these two just drive and feel themselves into Formula One and learn and get more experience so that when they have a more competitive car next season, so they hope, they'll be able to utilise it to the best that they can. But it just seems that right now that Haas are more preoccupied with keeping two hothead inexperienced drivers from crashing into each other on a weekly basis and having to deal with a repair bill for any crashes that they do have. That's the last thing you need when you've got one of the smallest budgets in Formula One. Um... Yeah, um, 
I'd, I'd say that Haas are probably my least favourite team at the moment. Because you can look at every single team and go, they've got that going for them. That makes sense. They've got something they can really build on. Apart from Mick Schumacher to a degree, they don't really have a good environment there. Um, we've, we've discussed the other driver in on many occasions, but that he's a bad egg. He's a bad egg. And no matter how much funding he brings, if you don't have a good if you don't have a good harmony in any team, it's going to show and it's going to start affecting start affecting the performances of the team, and it could cause some problems going into next season. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Haas technically haven't confirmed their driver lineup for next season, although we expect it to be exactly as it were. But it does raise questions that perhaps there are some concerns at the um, you know the figureheads at the Haas team that perhaps this driver pairing is just not going to work out. As I said, we'll have to wait and see. Of course, there's still a see at Alfa Romeo. I don't know how that's going to unfold. Of course, we're expecting perhaps someone like Guan Yu Zhou to be confirmed in that seat or maybe Oscar Piastri, who's doing a remarkable job in F2, getting another big win this weekend in the F2 feature race. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, uh, for me, three stars for Mick. I don't, I don't. You want to give him more for a P15, given the state of the Haas, but it was a bit of a messy race for him. So I can't. I just don't think it'd be fair to give him higher than that. Mazepin... One and a half stars. I know the expectations yeah, aren't high, but I think what we're seeing in Mazepin is the driver we feared we might see earlier in the season that was causing incidents and that. The only saving grace is that the only driver he seems to be having problems with right now is his teammate because everyone else is nowhere near him. Not that that's something to sort of look at as a positive. He's but, letting, you know, he's, he's, letting, he's, <laughs> he's listening to blue flags now, though, so he's got that going for him. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. That is the one solace. Um, but at least it's an internal issue rather than something a bit beyond that because I think if you start upsetting other teams in this, then it becomes a bigger issue for us. At least it's something they only have to deal amongst themselves. Um, but guys, let us know what you think on everything that we've talked about. Obviously, the Verstappen-Hamilton incident being the huge talking point. But, you know, let us know what you think about the other things. How happy were you to see McLaren be so successful today? How do you think the championship is going to go down for the rest of the season? Of course, feel free to give us some of your star ratings as well. Just, excuse me, just a bit of a note. Um, Obviously, you know, we've been very, very active uh, this year. We've been putting out almost two episodes every single week. This weekend, there's not going to be an episode this weekend. We don't have a race on, but owing to how busy that Courtney and I have been, and obviously, as you could probably tell from this podcast, that we're not feeling 100% at the moment. We'd like to ask your forgiveness that we can take this weekend off and we'll come back fresh and ready with a race preview for the Russian Grand Prix early next week. So please do bear with us. In the meantime, guys, of course, if you have enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the channel and giving us a like if you've enjoyed the video. And of course, don't forget to engage with us on either the comment section or on social media. We'll be happy to engage with you there. And of course, if you have enjoyed this episode on your favorite podcasting platform, do feel free to follow us and like the episode and of course share it around. If there are other F1 fans that want to join in the DNF1 community, please, please do encourage them to do so. We'd love to increase our following and engage with more and more followers in this F1 community, the best community in the world, bar none that I can say. Um, Courtney, before we wrap this up, is there anything else you want to add in before we uh, put this yeah. episode to bed? Yeah, um, just as we said earlier, please, please feel free to engage with us don't be shy we'd love to hear different opinions but yeah just just leave the uh the, the driver slander out of it because we, we we do we do like to debate um but i just uh 
ridiculous name calling and stuff that I don't have any time for that. So no, yeah, please engage. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, this is kind of the thing because we avoid social media when like yesterday I was on social media when I saw it all go down. I was not going to dare to write anything down to try and wade on the incident because of the barrage of responses from whether you're in the Hamilton camp or the Verstappen camp. You just don't want to lend yourself to that. And I saw so much going on that even respected pundits um, like Paul DeResta, like I know Paul DeResta is not the most popular person in F1 media. I get that. But I do feel that a lot of the abuse that was thrown at him owing to his opinion on the incident where he deemed it a racing incident was very unfair. And then Johnny Herbert weighs in and, you know, he was very much emphatic that Max was at fault and, and then Massa weighs in and like to defend, say it was 50-50 and then you've got Damon Hill and everyone else is like, everyone is bringing something to this battle where we're trying to debate and discuss an incident between the two leading championship protagonists. And then you've got everyone else on social media literally slating off or, um, you know, saying this that, and everything else about someone just because, or throwing hate at them just because they have an opinion that contraries their own mm. or isn't favourable to their favourable driver. So, look, we want to create a space on here in the DNF1 hub um, on YouTube or social media or whatever where you guys can feel comfortable to just engage with us and talk to us and talk to each other, if you like, in open debate about these things, about the sport that we all love so much. But we want to keep it respectable. We don't want to have arguments breaking out in in the chats or anything like that where people are making fun or saying horrible things to each other just because they're pro-Max or pro-Lewis or pro-someone else. It, it honestly doesn't matter. Um, just some healthy engagement. A little bit of banter here and there is absolutely fine, but, you know, let's keep it respectable, guys. I, I know I can trust you to do that. I'm just saying because after an incident like this, everybody comes out with their pitchforks and literally, yeah, it's... It's not a fun place sometimes. Anyway, look, enough of me ranting on and sounding like a depressed parent or anything like that. Um, until next time, guys, please do stay safe. Uh, stay safe, I should say. Um, enjoy the weekend, however you choose to spend it. And we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Where we'll be previewing the Russian Grand Prix. So until next time, guys, take care. Podcast Network.